0: and you guys, I am so excited. I have been very patiently waiting for two and a half years for this conversation to get to talk to Dr. Donald Sturs, who just judged best in show at Westminster Kennel Club. And I just really wanted to do this after the show because I just feel that's more appropriate. So welcome, Don. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here with you. It's going to be fun. Alright, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing? Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy to download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, for screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code Talk to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code your dog talk. As with every judge that does Westminster Best in Show, lots and lots and lots of ink has been spilled about about (laughs) you and your background. We normally start these interviews with what we call the 411, but it's been done so many times. We're going to kind of slide past it. Sure. And we're going to do some big ticket items because I think you are one of the Oh, I think of you as the philosophers in our sport. And so we're going to do some philosophy stuff. You ready? Sure. Excellent. So one of the things that I talk about at Pure Dog Talk a lot is that purebred dogs are history and they are art. And that is something I saw you speak to in one of the interviews that I was reading as I was getting ready for this. So I'd like you to expand on that in your inimitable way.
1: (laughs) Well, I think... I'll take them in two separate parts. I mean, from a historical perspective, I think it's so important that we keep our focus on, you know, what the history of particular breeds are. Not just from the point of view of, you know, the climate or where they came from, terrain that they worked on, or jobs that were bred to do, but also how the breed has evolved over time and understanding the difference between, you know, the evolution of a breed versus the changing of a breed. I think those are two very different things. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so I think having a historical perspective, I was going to say as a judge, but also as a breeder, I think that that informs your decisions. It informs your perception of the dogs that you're looking at when you put them in that historical context of both where they originated, what they were meant to do, and how they've evolved over time. The other side of it, when you talk about dogs as art, that really resonates with me because that's what it's like to me. Like when I go to a dog show, I look at dogs as I would look at art in a museum. And I love when something moves me. You know how when you look at a beautiful piece of art, whether it's a painting or a sculpture or whatever, and and you just have a visceral emotional reaction, I love when that happens for me with a dog. And you know, as a judge. It doesn't happen all the time. You know, it doesn't happen as frequently as one might like, but when it does happen, it's kind of like the reinforcer. It's like, see if I keep going enough. It's like
0: that jackpot at the bingo hall. man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think that's how it is for me.
0: (laughs) I always say that dogs are sort of like gambling. Like you hit a jackpot just often enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Get that dopamine hit. Yeah. One of the things that I think is so important, and maybe you can speak to this further, thinking of dogs as history in terms of What they represent in world history, their place in the history, what they speak to about the people and the times that they represent in physical nature, they are living history in our living rooms.
1: Correct. And I think that when you take it into consideration, the moments in time, the moments in history through which these breeds maintained and continued to exist and what it often took those individuals who maintained those breeds or nurtured those breeds, Mm -hmm. what it took for them to do during different points in history and what was going on. I think, you know, that goes to what we were just talking about. I think that informs your appreciation for what's standing in front of you. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, in our sport and in the world at large, you know, people have gotten so caught up in immediate gratification and looking for the outcome rather than the process. Yes, I think it's important for us, especially in dogs, to kind of catch ourselves if we find ourselves in that kind of moment and kind of say, you know, wait a minute, slow down, Skippy. You know, (laughs) there's a much bigger picture and a much longer story, and you need to keep reminding yourself of that.
0: Yeah. Back up the bus, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this segues beautifully into my next thought process. You talked again about sort of a global perspective that it's not just the words in the standard, it's the essence. So build on that a little bit.
1: Well, that kind of strikes a few things for me. Like when I think of global perspective, you know, with regards to dogs, I think in terms of wanting to understand and appreciate breeds as they appear in lots of different places in the world. And I think that that helps inform my eye as far as when I see a breed, you know, in a particular place, I'm like, wow, that was a great combination of the breed here and the breed there. For example, someone just sent me a picture of a Springer Spaniel from Australia and wanting to know, you know, how do I think the dog might fare here? And the first thing that struck me was just how amazingly beautiful and correct this dog was. And I had seen dogs of this type actually in Scandinavia, you know, some years back. And I, the way my brain processed it was, it was a bridging of the UK version of the Springer Spaniel and the American version of the Springer Spaniel. So these individuals in Australia, these individuals in Scandinavia, somehow kind of melded the two together, and you got this particularly beautiful animal with regards to outline and proportion, head details. And I think to be able to appreciate that that you can have that moment of appreciating that dog. Whereas if I didn't have the global perspective, I might be put off immediately by the fact that the dog had so much ticking. You know, here in the right. United States, we value those very clear white right. and blacker liver markings, right, in a sperm. And I could see how some people might just see that first and only, and not be able to move past it to appreciate the true beauty and quality of the dog and the value. Of that dog right. for breeding purposes, yes. In a place where he's bringing something to the table that we don't really have in abundance, you know. So I tend to think a global perspective on any breed is a good thing, even if it's just to be able to say, you know, the breed is going off in a weird direction there. <laughs> to have the awareness mm-hmm. of that, like a point on the line, a point on the continuum. Mm-hmm. I'm big on there being gray area, and I can allow for some stylistic differences on the mm-hmm. continuum, mm-hmm. but there's a point, there's yes. a line where you go like, okay, well then that's too much. That's too that's, far. You know, right. It's either too moderate or it's too extreme. And I have a little wiggle room on both sides of that. Right. So that's how I would process kind of that global perspective piece. I think it really informs your eye and how you view a breed and how you can appreciate a breed.
0: You said a thing there, and I'm, now I'm going to go off on one of my famous little rabbit holes. You said a thing there about bringing qualities that we need in our breeds and now we're thinking from a breeder perspective not a judge perspective Mm -hmm. that don't match our necessarily perfect vision you know a wire hair pointer with a solid head and one tail spot and no body markings and finding the value to incorporating other things that just don't meet that personal aesthetic that will then improve the quality of the breed overall
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm talking about is being able to kind of see the forest for the trees and be able to, as a breeder, see how that dog can add to your journey as you pursue your vision of the breed. And I think also being able to think in a more long-term way, because when you do that sort of thing, I think the mistake, unfortunately, is people are like, oh, I'm going to breed to this dog from wherever and I'm going to bring in these qualities. And then they have a litter and it's like, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. You're probably not going to get what you want. You have to keep working (laughs) and building and choosing and selecting. And yes, it's a longer term process when one tries to do something like that. Does it sometimes click? Yeah, it sometimes happens, but I think that's unusual. I think it's more the other, you know, that you have to kind of make a commitment to, you know, a few generations out at least to see what you were trying to get to.
0: And that is so, again, flows back to something you said earlier about instant gratification. We want all these little cookie cutter dogs. Like the only way we can say we're great breeders is if every single dog looks exactly the way the other one looks. And that's all on markings. That's not actually on structure, right? (laughs) Oh, they're all marked the same. So I'm a great breeder. So I think speaking to that and ways in which we can reevaluate our breeding programs, recalculate in our head, talk to that long-term struggle that says, no, this one doesn't look exactly like that one, but I am adding this piece that I want to eventually get to this point.
1: Yeah. And I think it depends on the breed and it depends on the element because I think in breeding, There are certain elements in specific breeds that are more or less difficult to get or hold on to, right? It's not the same formula in every breed, but I think you have to have an awareness of that. Like, you know, some breeds people talk about, I'm going to value construction overhead because I can fix a head easily. And other breeds, fixing a head is not so easy depending on the deal
0: terriers say for example Yeah. (laughs) yeah
1: so i think that's the kind of thing that one has to be able to have that conversation and have that knowledge and have that awareness you know i think just looking at your own dogs or your own vision or your own planet i think that will get you in trouble yes long term i think you have to always be looking at what's happening around you and what others are coming up with and by saying that, I don't mean, oh, just running and jumping and breeding to whatever Then
0: Breed to a ribbon? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. No. But I just think being aware and making an informed choice, an informed decision of like, you know what? That dog or that line or that breeder has something that I think might help move me forward in what I have as my vision with breeding.
0: Absolutely. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys. If you are part of a national breed club in the US or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now, you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part? Your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and wanna learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at Trupanion. Okay, so great ones. We all love to find a great one. You talked about it, that hair standing up on your arm. Mm-hmm. It's in the details. And you made a comment that I thought was really wise that it's not he asked for it or it's this or it's that. It's the high quality and the high chrome. Mm-hmm. So expand on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think coming off of judging that right, right. I, I figure it's
0: perfect answer is time a for perfect
1: you. Example because the dogs come in and my hair is standing off of my arms as I'm starting to talk. Okay, this right. it really, really moved me. You know, as each one came out, it was like, oh, 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 <laughs> like ah! it'd be <laughs> challenging. You know, I've watched some lineups where it's evident right out of the gate that there are a few true contenders. In this case, and I'm not blowing smoke, in this case there were seven true contenders. Mm-hmm. And it goes to what you were just talking about is all of them possessed the details one might be looking for in their breed. Mm-hmm. And you know that takes judging to a different level. And I guess this is where that visceral reaction, it's not about the dog asking for it as much as it is the dog that is offering you the greatest sense of the essence of that breed like in that moment there's something that grabs you and says that is all that (laughs) and I mean I could talk specifically about my choice for best in show is the bloodhound which I think was a surprise to many people for many different reasons like I've heard people say like oh they expected me to go for something more flashy and stylish and glamorous I guess that harkens to my poodle days or something (laughs) and I had other people, you know, have commented on, well, that was a dark horse. He came out of nowhere. There were some heavy hitters that people expected to be more of the contenders. And they were, but, you know, I have to judge them on the day. And on the day, as I got through the individual examinations, they were all on an even par. And what I did next was I had the dogs come out and stand on their own. And I don't know if people know this of me, but it's not about the dog that comes out and nails the stack and has the ears and the tail. It's not about that. Although that's very cool and exciting when it happens, I can appreciate it and what goes into that. But it's more about does the dog hold themselves, carry themselves, present themselves in the way that represents their breed. So I want them to step out there. I want to see how they stand on their own. I want to see how they place themselves. I want to see what they look like structurally on their own. But I also want to see that, Character, you know, how they hold themselves. And so I will be honest and say that in my brain in that moment, I knew that was going to be my procedure. I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be one of those moments people are going to like bang me for doing a freestand because I'm going to ask a bloodhound to go do that. But I'm like, you know what? This is what I'm looking for. And I want to see him be a bloodhound. Like Mm -hmm. whatever it when he does, whatever he does, and I didn't know what he would do. But what was so beautiful was that his breeder owner handler just very calmly like stepped out there and guided him very deftly into a natural stance. And he just planted his four feet perfectly without any of the crossover thing or like it was just boom, boom, boom. And then he just stood there and he literally stared at me. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a really proud, dog this is a dog who's giving me a dog standing over a lot of ground a dog of power and strength and then I sent him around and his gait was just I mean flawless it was talk about you know powerful and covering ground and elasticity and you know all of that and head and tail carriage and it was perfection to me and it was like in that moment I'm saying I'm getting goosebumps again I had Um, goosebumps (laughs) too
0: (laughs) it,
1: it was like there it is (laughs) It's like, it was, that was it. And I think, you know, being able to appreciate him. And I think everyone's been talking about how he moved, but it was like, yes, that was fantastic. But on closer inspection, you also have to appreciate like he had this incredibly gorgeous head. It was large. It had the right length and width proportions. He had gorgeous eyes. He had just the right amount of folds and wrinkles without becoming grotesque looking he had just the right amount of bone and substance without becoming overdone and cloudy. You know, it was like every detail was like right there you know right there on the edge and just perfection and that was what grabbed me i kind of got lost in that yeah
0: <laughs> you had a really non-traditional lineup <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean seriously think about this you english setter Bloodhound, Samoyed, Lakeland, Maltese, Frenchie, German Shepherd. Okay. Laura's Sammy. That's the number one dog I'll breed. Okay. It's a German Shepherd. Okay. But I mean, such a combination of dark horses, Mm -hmm. the Bloodhound, the English setter, a bit of a dark horse, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the Maltese, like, Mm -hmm. where did that come from? Like, I didn't see that coming. So I think you had just such a really interesting combination of dogs to look at. -hmm. And so, I guess, you know, my question was, what's the first thought in your head when you see him? You address that, (laughs) you know, but seriously, when you look at that, to me, one of the things it speaks to, and it reminds me of the year that you did the sporting group at the garden Mm -hmm. and you put up the Brittany, another dark horse, Mm -hmm. relatively unknown dog, relatively unknown handler. And there is such a pervasive, gripe within our fancy about it's only the famous people it's only the famous dogs talk to us about how we address that in the sport how you think about that you know give people light in our tunnel
1: (laughs) okay well I think starting with say the lineup and the diversity of that lineup for me that's like being a kid in a candy store because I get to experience so many different kinds of Aspects and you know, to go from the more utilitarian aspect of, say, the first three dogs in line of the shepherd, the samoyed, and the setter, which then took me to a place where I could get really into coat texture and expression, looking at the Lakeland and the Maltese. And then the Frenchie gave me that, you know, such a unique head body shape, you know, all of those little bat you all this stuff. My brain was going ping, 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 ping <laughs> all over the place. So that was really, really cool. I think with regards to. I think what you're getting at is the notion that when judges kind of like hold the line, right? Like they just kind of put up what is expected to happen. Right. I would like to believe that I think the majority of judges are trying to do a good job. And I think that what sometimes can happen, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble for this or you, but I think what can happen is just it's human nature to want to tend towards the norm to be accepted to be part of the group you know that kind of thing and so it's human nature to kind of go with what others are doing right mm-hmm. and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not and i think it's having the awareness and the ability and also the fortitude because that's part of it too right the confidence to make the decision you believe is the right decision on the day regardless of whatever anybody else thinks. And I was told by a judge early on that his best piece of advice to me would be that I judge every dog show as if it was my last one. Meaning it frees you up from all that other stuff that bangs around in our heads, right? Of Who do we know? Who do we like? Who do we not like? Where are the assignments coming from? All of that, it frees you up. And I've always approached judging with that mindset of if I never judge again, at least I'll know the last time I did it, I did what I wanted to do. And I did what I believed was correct. And that doesn't mean people have to agree with me. It just means I'm being honest about what I think and i'm sure there's plenty of times i've done things that people stand there and go like oh my god i can't believe it did that but if they come up and talk to me afterwards trust me i can tell you exactly why i did what i did
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so now this is a personal question and i'm a baby dog judge i'm just getting mm-hmm. started in my career and i worry that i am going to feed into my desire to not follow the crowd mm. And go too far the other way.
1: Yeah, that's a danger.
0: What's my regulator on that?
1: I think it's self-awareness. You know, just the fact that you're aware that you have a tendency to be a little rogue, that has to be part of your Have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that to me would be the regulator is one self-awareness that you have a Mm -hmm. tendency towards that. Just as the other, if you have a tendency to be a follower, Mm -hmm. you have to be aware of that and kind of check yourself. And I'm like, okay, am I... And this goes into, you have to reflect on what you do, anything you do in life, right? You want to take some time to reflect and think about the impact and is it moving you in the direction you want to go. But I think with judging, it's really important to reflect after each judging assignment on, you know, what you did that you're like a hundred percent sure of and what you did that you're not sure that you might have done it a different way for a different reason, you know, and being aware of that, understanding that. That was something else I learned very, very early on from Michelle Billings, actually. She and I often ended up having conversations about the previous days judging, like if we were at the airport and, you know, we were waiting for flights, and she would be very open about talking about a particular breed or particular class, whatever, and that was great for me as a young judge because, like, oh, here's this great icon who's sitting there saying to me, you yeah, know, maybe I was a little too hard on, you know, head in that breed, or you know, if I had to do it over, maybe I would have done this, you know, that kind of. I'm like, that's so cool to be able to know that that's okay. Like, that's how you get better. That's how you learn is to reflect and think and be aware of why you did what you did. And I think in that moment, you'll know, right? It was like, Mm -hmm. I did that because no one else has done it and I thought it would be great to do. And then you wanna say like, well, that's okay. (laughs) And that can be cool and it can be right. But you wanna be sure that it's the latter rather than just being independent.
0: (laughs) Well, and I mean, that is what goes through my mind. Like, am I doing this just to be contrary or am Mm -hmm. I doing it because it's the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I question myself. Yeah, but just that awareness will help you. <laughs> okay, sorry. So was another one of those little rabbit holes. <laughs> it's okay, I'm keeping up. I'll That's good. Right That's good. I, knew, it's I knew I knew you would, man. I knew you'd stay on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> A few years back, you were voted to receive judge of the year honors. And that was incredibly emotional for you. Yes. I remember interviewing you at the time. Talk mm. about really what that meant to you.
1: Mm. Yeah, goosebumps again. Yeah, I know. That was a very special moment. I think people know now because, as you said, so much ink has been spilt. So I think, you know, people are more aware now of what my story is. Right. And, you know, my story starts as a child in dog shows and, you know, growing up coming from a situation where I experienced very severe bullying in school, and then having this respite, this escape to this world where it was completely the opposite, where people were acknowledging me and welcoming me and supporting me. And and so I was constantly back and forth between these two worlds. And so for a child, and when I look back on that, I'm like, thank God I had that, like, I could have been so damaged. And I really do attribute the fact that I was able to navigate that, you know, because I had the dog shows to escape to, or I had the dogs to escape to every day. Like I woke up and did dogs. Then I went to school, survived and came home. It's what got me through the day is I'm going to go home and I'm going to go work with my dogs, you know? And so it was just this intense part of my growing up. And I've always been very passionate about dogs and passionate about the sport, but I always felt in somewhat of a selfish way, it was just for me. Like I wasn't looking for fame. I wasn't looking for any of that. It was just, I love doing it. I love the process. I love to win as much as anybody else does, but it's the leading up to the win that is really what floats my boat. You know, like when I was showing poodles, like I loved the process of creating the picture. And it was great winning a Best in Show with that, but the hours and hours and hours that went into creating that picture of the dog who just won best in show was really where the joy was. That was where the passion was. And so getting to this point in time where, you know, and after judging for all this time, you know, when I got nominated for that award, I honestly, and this is how distorted my perception can be at times. I honestly, at this stage of life felt that, I wasn't somebody who was that popular. I don't know why. I mean, people have been incredible around this whole Westminster experience. And maybe it's on me that I don't, maybe I need to connect more directly with people to get a better read on what they think of me or feel towards me. But I just didn't think I was that popular to have people vote for me for an award like that. And so I didn't prepare a speech and I was complete, like I really was shocked because I just, didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> and I think that's what happened in the moment is all of that kind of welled up and overwhelmed me as I was giving my speech. And all I did was kind of just like talk. I don't even remember half of what I said. <laughs> I know I was blubbering. But yeah, it was just one of those incredible life moments that was so unexpected and just so appreciated and so valued. I mean, it doesn't get better than to be Recognized by your peers. It just doesn't. And so to do something that means so much to me and have others think I do it well or I make a difference, you know, that just totally overwhelmed me. Yeah, it meant a lot.
0: <laughs> I know it did. <laughs> I think of my own personal life story very similar. And 4 H saved my life, sort of thing. You know, yeah. I was like yeah. the librarian's best friend. Like yeah. I was the only third grader in the world that knew the Dewey Decimal System by heart. <laughs> Because <laughs> I spent my recesses in the library with Mrs. Young and that was yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my safe space. Yeah. And like you, dogs for many of us, I think many of us in dogs find that dogs are our literal safe space and the community that we create is our safe space. <laughs> all right, crew. thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. Like the NPR of dogdom, pure dog talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. The Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for their generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons are invited to a private Facebook community. And that's where dog people, all of us together, can share, applaud, and commiserate. We have monthly After Dark gatherings where we can, you know, raise a glass and provide a virtual get-together for the entire group. I'm also so, 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 so excited about a very cool new feature that will be for patrons only, making its debut in the next few weeks. So, be on the lookout. There will be a chance available to you to sign up for the Pure Pep Talk Pure Pep Talk is Pure Dog Talk's weekly mentoring message. Quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools that you can use right now. Sign up today and get a ping tomorrow. Join the best community in purebred dogs. Stop by www.puredogtalk.com. Click the box right there at the top of the page. I might add PSPS, finally... The first of what will be many curated ebook audiobook options that is drawn from the Pure Dog Talk Archives has Drumroll Hit the Cloud. Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs is the perfect compilation for yourself, a friend, your puppy buyers, your kennel club, your 4-H Club. Shop the book tab on the website and check it out. Always remember, you guys, your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to Laura at PureDogTalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function, they are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy so stop by the supers desk at your next show tell them how much you love pure dog talk and give them a shout out for their support that's all for today thank you for joining us on pure dog talk